Welcome everybody to the Extra Credit Show. I am Anselmo Moreno. And I'm Richard David. And we are back again with another podcast. This is our episode 15. We got an awesome show. And we're going to start off by letting you guys all know, if you were wondering, so how does Richard and Anselmo know all of this stuff? Well, it started a really long time ago at a debt collection agency. Hey, we're not that old, all right? <laughs> it was a long time ago. Oh, it was man. actually, uh, I mean, that's where that's where the experience gets. Now, we haven't aged. We're still the same age. <laughs> but it was a long time ago, guys. This was, we're talking about 2005. Richard and I actually met at a debt collection agency. And that's where a lot of the experience uh was gained right is working in the trenches as debt collectors um and today the theme of the show is going to be confessions of a debt collector all the stuff that we saw all the stuff that we were um you know kind of trained and and we didn't know any better some of the stuff we didn't know if it was illegal or legal it was just you know the whole tone of the agency was collect money um by all means necessary uh, that's um, correct um it's and that tone really hasn't changed. Uh, I, I understand that today um, collection agencies more and more are trying to be what I refer to as hyper compliant, but there's still collectors out there that just don't care. Their goal is to collect money from you in any way, shape or form that they can, and they don't care what they do to get it. So today we're going to be talking about some of the some of the insider secrets that we learned uh, over the years, not only as collectors, but while we've been dealing with the industry for the last 13 years. Yeah, and we've talked in, in depth on the show about the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act. In the last episode, we talked about the least sophisticated consumer standard. You know, that's really detailed stuff. But really, when we're talking about being in the trenches, actually making the calls, talking to consumers, attempting to collect the debt, um, all of this stuff, are, uh, we were exposed to some really interesting things, some, some flat out illegal things. Um, so let's just jump right in. Um, we, we actually have some notes and, and jumping right in. Um, we have some points that we wanted to make as far as like, okay, so a debt collector in, in the standard ordinary day of a debt collector, they sit in a cubicle, they're staring yep. at a computer, and then they're calling people. Yes, sir. pop up on their screen. Um, and now, <clears throat> back in the day when you were a debt collector, Richard, how involved were you in the litigation process? So were you involved in suing people? Yes, I was. Um, so it's not a bragging right, but back when I was a, a debt collector, uh, out of 30 collectors, I was a collector who sued the most people. In fact, I got an award for it. Now, I'm kind of ashamed about it now, <laughs> but I got an award for suing a lot of people. And you now, know, when you say suing, I mean, obviously you were not, a, not an attorney, so you didn't actually sue people. So what I did is I prepared the case file to the point where all I had to do was hand the paperwork over to the attorney and the attorney did the rest. And what were some of the requirements? So some of the requirements at that point in time were you had to have a known asset, preferably a known place of employment for garnishment. Uh, the debt had to be over $1,000. You didn't want to spend good money trying to collect a few hundred bucks. Um, the, you had to have attempted to, uh, you know, ask the co uh, debtor for money, and he had to have refused several times. At that point, it was done. Um, you had everything you needed. You prepared the case. You, you made sure you looked them up, even if you had to do a background check on him. Uh, skip tracing is what they call it. Once you had everything and they've been given an opportunity to pay and they deny 
boom, you send it over to the attorney. Now, but you have to have identified an asset. Yes. The debt had to have been over a certain dollar amount. Yes. And what about the statute of limitations? Well, of course, if the statute of limitations was what, uh, you know, still relevant, like if it was under four years in the state of California, you can sue. But I did see some shady stuff going on. Uh, in so fact, I just want to separate it really quickly. Um, statute of limitations, we're talking about four years in the state of California for you to sue. That's correct. Different than the seven year statute in the state of California or actually the nation uh, for credit reporting. Correct. So you had to identify an asset. They had to uh, make contact with the person and it had to have been under the statute of limitations, which is the four years for a lawsuit. And it had to be over $1,000. And it had to be over $1,000. Now, so we've seen some things and you saw some things as to, well, what if the account was not under four years? You know, I didn't learn about it until after I left the company, but I, I knew that there was collectors inside who were trying to catch up to me, trying to get as many lawsuits as I could, you know, and they just weren't as good as me. So they stooped to some pretty bad levels, if you will. Um, if, a, if a debt wasn't within the statute of limitations and it, it was a, a large amount and an asset was identified, I've known debt collectors who would go out and buy a money order for an insignificant amount of money Submit it as a payment under the debtor's name and bring the account back to statute of limitations. Because once whoa, whoa, a payment whoa, okay. is made. So let's let's clarify that for a second. So you have an account that basically meets all the requirements for a lawsuit except the statute of limitations. That's so correct. Wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't be able to sue. Correct. But then effectively, the consumer, if the consumer and the debt collector gets the consumer to make a payment, it can reset that statute of limitations. Yes. Right? That four-year statute can be reset by a payment. Yes. So the debt collector will anonymously go out, buy a money order, mail it in as if it was the consumer, say for 10 bucks, and then the agency would process that payment on the account as a payment, and then the debt collector would be like, oh, there it is, back in stats, pushing it through the lawsuit. That's... The consumer never actually made the payment. The debt collector did it self-servingly so that they can push through a lawsuit on a otherwise perfectly good account except the fact that it was too old that is as bad as i've seen it get that's the worst case i've seen it get to and again when i say seen it get to i didn't actually witness this i was told by the individual once we both left the company but it was very shocking for me to hear i knew i i witnessed some very aggressive behavior but i never actually knew that something like that was going on and it only made t uh, perfect sense um, because I've, I've throughout the years, I've seen at least two other examples of this um, happen where the individual just had no idea any payment was made. They swore up and down no payment was made, but yet they were getting sued for a supposed payment on a debt that's very, very old. So being privy and be and actually having seen this stuff kind of allows us to catch it if it's happening to one of our clients, right? If we mm -hmm. see just like a weird lawsuit coming out of nowhere on an account that otherwise would have been really, really old, we're going to look at it with these set of eyes. We're going to look at it with, holy moly, did someone, you know, do the old uh, mail in the payment uh, tactic? Because we've seen these tactics. We know about these tactics. And, you know, it wasn't isolated to the agency that we were at. It, it's really just kind of like how old debt collector lore, you know, <laughs> like this is how we would, uh, it's like, it just reminds me of like the boiler room type of atmosphere where yes. it's just like, you know, no, anything goes type of thing. Um, so very interesting that that people 
like I don't think any layman would consider this or would even think about this, but a debt collector trying to make his quota is going to think of innovative ways like this to get by. So if you as a consumer are now looking at your credit report and you see that there are any collections where the balance owed is less than the balance assigned and you know for a fact you've never spoken with this agency, keep an eye out because yeah. this may this may be happening to you. Yeah, um, so that's just one of the tactics. What else do you got? Well, um, uh, again, going back to 2005, different states have different practices. Uh, depending on the state you live, you know, the, the laws may be different or, or courts may rule favorably uh, towards collectors. Uh, in California, for example, back when we were in the trenches, uh, there was a little known fact, if you will. I don't know if it's a fact now, but if a consumer made three consecutive monthly payments on a debt, that would be known as a verbal agreement and it would be used against the consumer to file a lawsuit. Now, us as collectors know that a single payment uh, is enough to bring an account back into the statute of limitations. But to have three consecutive payments, uh, it, it just gave more uh, uh, umph, if you will, to the lawsuit. The, the, the courts would deem it more favorably for the collector and you would essentially doom yourself. Yeah, and I think that when it comes to debt collectors suing consumers, uh, even nowadays, you know, most of those um, most of those debts or most of those lawsuits from a debt collector to a consumer, most of them go uncontested. But should they be contested and there's three payments in a row on file, now you have a really hard time arguing your case. So just one of those things to be really careful of. And a lot of times they do this just to get you to start making payments because once once you have three consecutive payments, um, there, there's really, you, you've made a willful attempt to take care of your debt. And, and remember, any payment to any debt is an acknowledgement that it is your fault. That's the bottom line. You are acknowledging this debt as legitimate and it's your fault and you're taking responsibility for it. Yeah, absolutely. Very, very good. Yeah, that, that's one of those where you know, just dealing with a debt collector, we want to be careful with, with what we're doing. Most most clients would like to settle their debt if it's a legitimate debt. And most of them, the first thing that they think of is, I want to make payments on this, right? Mm -hmm. Because it could be a big dollar amount and it's just a little bit more palatable if they make payments on it. But really, we never, never advise our clients to make payments on debts. We always advise to settle them in a lump sum because that's going to be the best way to negotiate a good settlement where you'll have the most leverage to save the most money. If you feel that you're in a position that you need to make payments, I always tell clients, make payments to yourself, save up that money. Mm -hmm. And when you have a little lump sum of 30, 40%, make the offer to the debt collector. In a lump sum, you'll have much more leverage than if you're trying to make payments. Because they'll always say, well, you can make payments on the balance in full. And that's not what we want. We want to make sure that you make payments or that you settle it in a lump sum and save the most amount of money. So keep that in mind uh, if you are or or know anybody that's going to be dealing with debt collectors. Um, but, you know, these are these are some of the more. Well, at least this last one is one of the more basic tactics. It's used all over the, you know, the country, you know, just make payments on this, make payments on this for the purposes of uh, bringing back accounts into the statute of limitations. But there's a. a let's call it a shadier tactic that was being used by debt collectors. One particularly from Jefferson Capital, um, where they were issuing credit cards 
to consumers who had old debt that was out of the statute of limitations. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about that? You know, we actually saw the Jefferson Capital um, Compute Credit assignments um, in like 09, and we were already deep in our credit repair practice. Um, but what was happening was when the sky fell and the economy went bad, um, a lot of credit cards went in, were the first things to go into default. And then we started to see a lot of these offers for, I don't know if you remember or if any of these ring a bell, Richard, Aspire credit card, Freedom credit card, mm -hmm. Tribute credit card, Majestic credit oh card. Oh my gosh. Aspen and Emerge. All of these <laughs> credit cards started to come onto the market and they were they were marketed to consumers that had really bad credit. I had almost forgotten about Aspen. I yeah. remember because I used to be a cologne that I would wear. <laughs> <laughs> and and so all, what, what essentially what was happening is uh -huh. that they were offering these credit cards to consumers who had recently defaulted on credit cards. Mm -hmm. And and so Comp or Jefferson Capital would buy a big portfolio of debt and they would send a consumer an offer saying, hey, you owe us this money, but if you pay this money, we will give you this new credit card so you can start rebuilding the your credit. And they were doing it on old debts, on debts that were past the statute of limitations, effectively coercing consumers into paying off a debt that was past the statute of limitations with the promise of giving them a new credit card at the end. It was a really bad deal. Consumers were getting ripped off left and right. They were failing to disclose fees. They had upfront fees. They had maintenance fees. The credit lines that they were advertised were, were not correct. They were they were limiting their credit lines. It was a really bad deal. They effectively got um, sued by the Federal Trade Commission in 2009. The bank that was issuing the credit cards got nailed. Jefferson Capital got nailed. And they, they revamped the practices. And effectively, they had to disclose um, the fees better. They're still using them in spots today, but because of this lawsuit, they're not doing it on debts that are past the statute of limitations, so they have to be much more careful with the way that they do it. But, you know, this was a really shady tactic that they were using um, to collect old debt by promising you a new credit card that was just as bad as the credit card that was probably let go because these credit cards are riddled in fees and they, you know, they, they, they essentially they get a consumer that has a poor credit history and puts them up to failure again because of the high fees on the credit cards. Remember, once the debt got reassigned or transferred into the credit card, it wasn't anymore about the old debt. It's about the fact that you now owe this credit card. This credit card paid for those old charges. So the debt becomes brand new. If you were to let this credit card go, seven more years that it's going to be on your credit report and they could sue you. Yeah. It, it was just outrageous. Uh, Clever on the collection agency's behalf, I'll give them that much, but it was a shady tactic. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you know, going back to 05 when we were in the trenches, uh, th this is crazy to think about, guys, because in 05, people still had house phones, right? <laughs> so we would have access to reverse directories yes. where you can literally look up an address and find the phone number to that address. Yes. In 05, cell phones were kind of coming in. So some people had cell phones, but most of the time people still had landlines. Yes. So what we were able to do is look up a, a reverse directory and we would find maybe the, the address, but then we would find the neighbor. Mm -hmm. And we were able to call the neighbor and just leave a note. Hey, can you, leave, uh, can you deliver a message to Susie for me? And obviously if you wanted to be legal, you don't disclose who you are or why you're calling. Right. I just need you to deliver the message to the neighbor and the neighbor would then write down name number. And if it was a 1-800 number, they can only uh, guess why you're calling. 
they'd go knock on the door hey this guy keeps calling me he's got a message for you that would immediately get the debtor to call the debt collector back because it's embarrassing it's absolutely embarrassing guys that is borderline illegal but it's legal if you don't disclose why you're calling or that you're calling to attempt to collect the debt we would call those block parties <laughs> and you know we'd basically call the whole block until we got the consumer to call us guys that that was an old school tactic that would work really really well but now with you know um nobody having landlines it's not really used anymore but you know a new school method that we never used because it wasn't around back then but you know what they're doing now is they're just looking and befriending you on facebook and following you on your social media so now you have this other borderline illegal tactic where these debt collectors can be stalking you on Facebook and they can really get garner information because, I mean, frankly, people tell everything to Facebook. I'm married. I got a new job. I work here. I work there. Um, and so they're able to use that information against you. Uh, so be careful what you put out on social media. If you think that, you know, be careful who you befriend, make sure you understand the privacy settings because debt collectors are looking up consumers on social media to get information to attempt to collect the debt. Imagine you're working a desk and you're trying to find out where this person works because you want to sue them. And, well, let's just go on Facebook and find out where this person works. And there you go. I find it a little interesting because I know that uh, back when we were in the trenches, um, you weren't allowed to go into the Internet um, because because of the privacy issues, you know, uh, I'm I'm a little shocked that they're now able to do so while they're at work. No, no, I mean they don't have to do it while they're at work. Oh, know, they right? so they do it when they're at home. No, I mean <clears throat> now with smartphones, because back in the day we weren't even allowed to have phones on us, mm -hmm. uh, but now they do, right? Yes. And so now they can just look them up on their cell phone, um, which is getting on the internet. And, while and it's again, so it's not an industry-wide tactic, sure. right? So it's not something that say the company is a company policy here's how we're going to find this of person. course of course but an individual collector guys these collectors are working on a commission basis they're trying to hit their quotas they're the the resourceful collectors will try to do everything they can and if that means looking you up on their phone they will which is just to prove the point that these collectors will do whatever it takes to collect money Keep that in mind. I'm, I'm not saying that every collector in the world is shady. I know some good collectors myself, but as a rule of thumb, they're out there to get money and they'll do whatever it takes. Protect yourself. Yeah, then, well, they're not all going to be that resourceful. But sure. again, you know, we're talking about the, the, it's not flat out illegal to do it. No. Right? It's not in the FTCPA. No. Um, and as long as they don't publicly disclose that this person, you know, they're not going to go and post on the person's wall that they owe money. Um, but it's it's certainly a tactic that they're using. Yes, no, I I, I totally get it. And so uh, it's just old school versus new school. You know, we we would have the block parties, and now they have the Facebook friends. Uh, very interesting thing uh, that's that's going on. We're talking about um, debt collectors' tricks of the trade, right? Mm -hmm. You know, some of them are illegal, some of them are borderline, but it's all things that you want to be aware of when dealing with debt collectors. Uh, another one that I'd like to uh, bring out to the consumer is, you know, sometimes they're doing things that are perfectly valid uh, uh, tactics. Uh, they're not really shady, but it's still to be used against you. Believe me, when they when you get a debt collector call and they they give you the, the mini Miranda uh, where they say, you know, this is an attempt to collect a debt. Any information will be used for that purpose. Guys, they mean that anything you say will be used against you. 
Um, and sometimes, you know, when you're trying to deal with a collector because you may have a, lar a large debt, let's just say you had a uh, unexpected medical expense and now you owe $5,000, you're trying to work something out with the collection agency. You know, heck, you may be even trying to be working out payments or a debt settlement. They are going to tell you that you need to submit your financial information and they'll go and they'll start asking for your employer information and that it's a necessity for them to approve the settlement. Well, by giving them this information, you literally just gave them everything they needed to sue you. Yeah, remember, we in order to sue, we need to have identified an asset. Exactly. An asset, um, you know, an employer, uh, and, and this is what they're trying to do. So please pay attention and, and, and think about what you're going to tell them because you will just get yourself into a lot of trouble. Yeah, um, in fact, it, it kind of reminds me you, you, so a legitimate debt collector will always start with, this is an attempt to collect the debt. Any information obtained will be used for that purpose. And then they go, what is your name? And you tell them your name and what is, and I just want to verify your phone number, your address and your place of employment. And most <laughs> consumers are like, yes, yes, yes. But you know, be astute guys. They just told you that they're trying to collect information from you for debt collection purposes. And then they proceed to ask you your updated phone number, your updated address, your updated place of employment. It's for a reason, right? And, and so we always try to, it's what I call the authentication dance, yes. where you get them on the phone and they're trying to authenticate you, but it's bullshit. They're not trying to authenticate you. They're trying to get information from you to be able to collect the debt mm -hmm. down the line. And so, Here's a little piece of advice. If you engage in an authentication dance with a debt collector, you don't have to give them anything. When I get nope. on the line on behalf of a client, they do that with me as well, the authentication dance. And we just simply say, we'd like not to disclose that at this particular time. You know, when we get into the trenches and we figure out, okay, this is what the debt is, it's valid. And, you know, we get to the point where we maybe make an offer, then maybe we get to uh, update some information, but never anything that would give our client away. We always want to protect our client. That's correct. So, um, yeah, that's that's one that, that, that always happens is the authentication dance. <clears throat> my favorite one um, that I actually use quite a bit because of my background in credit was when I was uh, dealing with a, with a, with a consumer mm -hmm. in the debt collection industry or the debt collection space, we'd call that the debtor. Mm -hmm. um, it is probably the biggest tool is actually a debt collectors have access to consumers credit reports oh, so in yes. real time. So literally we would have a, a client on the phone and I was like, Hey, you need to pay this bill. And then they would say, well, I don't have any money. Well, if I'm looking at the report, any smart debt collector, we're talking about the good ones would look at the report and go, well, you have this available money on your visa. <laughs> Why don't you just put it on your visa? I'm looking at it right now. Your visa has this available credit. Yes. Card. I see the credit card that you have. And so, it puts the consumer in a tough spot because now the debt collector knows that they actually can pay. They're seeing it on the credit report. With that in mind, we we know up front going into the to fight a debt collector on behalf of our clients that we got to know and we have we have to have those bases covered, right? If a consumer has stellar credit and we're trying to go in and get a, a good settlement, we have to be aware of that and have to be aware that the, the debt collector is probably going to come back to us and go, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. We've got something going on here. Um, the consumer has the strong ability to, to pay. I'm seeing the credit line. So all I'm saying is we have to be ready to to counter that or to put up that objection because debt collectors have permissible purpose to pull your credit reports. So that's a little known fact. 
and it can get you in trouble if you're trying to play the I don't have money card and they see that you have available credit. They're going to pull that. This is why I suit so many people because I was aggressive and I didn't take bull from them. But again, that was a long time ago. <laughs> this is just it teaches you to learn the tricks of the trade and it teaches you to look you know, to watch out for what collectors are going to use against you. This is why we're so good mm -hmm. in credit repair is because we are, to my knowledge, and I know a lot of credit repair companies, we are the only company founded by debt collectors with the experience under our belt to go and help consumers fight debt collectors because we were there. We know exactly what they're doing. If they do anything shady, we've been there before. We've seen it. We fought it. So we know exactly what we're doing when dealing with debt collectors is probably our biggest strength, in my opinion. Um, so those are just a few. We actually have a whole bunch that we haven't even touched, uh, but those are just a few uh, of the insider secrets and tactics that the, debt collectors use. The, the last one I want to leave you guys with is if you are attempting to do a settlement, um, you need to be careful if you are in the middle of buying a mortgage. Oh, yeah. Go if you're in the middle of buying a purchasing a mortgage and you have, let's just assume, a judgment that needs to be settled before escrow closes, as soon as you apply for that escrow, there's going to be an inquiry on your credit report. Debt collectors are going to see this inquiry and they know that you're wanting to purchase a house. So you're not going to get a very good deal with them because they know if you want this home, you're going to need to pay off this judgment either through the close of escrow or beforehand. If you're in the middle of that situation, you want to pay this off or settle the judgment before you even begin looking for a house. That is um, absolute fact, guys. Uh, in fact, the biggest tools that debt collector use for, for collections are information from the credit bureaus. If you ever wonder, like, how the heck did they get my number? I just got this number. <laughs> well, somehow the credit bureaus, through a credit application, you gave the bureaus that number. And what debt collectors have the ability to do is literally tag a social security number. So they yes. input a social security number at a credit bureau service. And whenever a new inquiry pops up on that social, the debt collector gets a notice. Yes. Hey, this person just applied for credit. Mm -hmm. Here's all their updated information. Yes, so sir. they have a tag on you. They're going to get all of your updated info, address and phone number at the time. So be aware that they get that information. And so when they tag the account, they get that information instantly delivered to them. So it's it's absolutely stunning to know that that's can work against you when trying to deal with a debt collector. And just like you said, that's a fantastic point that you brought up. Imagine going to the debt collector, trying to get a killer settlement, and there's a mortgage inquiry a few days before you called a debt collector. They're going to know. Oh, so you're trying to buy a house, huh? You know, if it says ABC <laughs> Mortgage pulled your credit last week and now all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you're calling, you know, you're setting yourself up for failure. You guys got to be, once you know this information, you can approach it differently than just calling them and, you know, giving them a sob story and then having them look at the credit report and see a mortgage inquiry in the last week. And just laugh at you pretty much. But, yeah. you know, and they're not going to disclose it, but they're going to play hardball. Yeah. You know, they're going to play hardball and they're, they're going to know. So... It's 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 uh, it is the information age. You guys really really want to be careful with the way that you're dealing with debt collectors. Knowing all of these tactics, you know, and we've been out of the game for a long time on the debt collection side, but we still deal with debt collectors, so we still see all of their new tactics. We still know what they're doing. We still know how to protect our clients. 
from from this kind of stuff. So it's like a courtroom. They will actually manipulate your own words to their own advantage. They will listen to what they want to hear and use it against you. Um, don't let them. Yeah, um, the the credit bureaus. You know, that's a big portion of their business is offering your information to debt collectors in an attempt to collect the debt. Like they have all of these services that they provide and. You know, so if you ever wondered how they get your phone number, it's because you gave it to them. When you do an application for credit, it goes to the bureaus and the bureaus give it away to the debt collector. The debt collectors pay the bureau to do that. Little known fact, uh, even though it should be widely known, credit reporting is, in fact, an attempt to collect a debt. So keep that in mind. Yep, absolutely. That's why most people or most debt collectors don't collect after seven years, because even though you technically still owe the debt, they can't credit report it anymore. So uh, very, very interesting stuff. One last thing I wanted to just bring up real quickly. Uh, most people, if you're dealing with debt collectors and we know um, that you're going to be dealing with them soon, um, is that they'll try to tell you that not to settle the debt, but to pay it in full because mm. it will credit report uh, <laughs> as a payment in full versus a settlement in full. And so, so they'll make these references to your credit score um, and they'll understand that most people trying to pay their debt are trying to improve their score in some way. So they'll try to negotiate or coerce you or, you know, whatever you want to call it to get you to pay in full versus get you to settle in full. Now, the, the bottom line question is, does paying a debt, a collection in full versus settling it in full affect your score differently? No. If you pay an account it's going to show up as a paid collection. If you settle an account, it's going to show as a paid collection that will settle in full for less than the balance owed. It doesn't matter. A derogatory account is a derogatory account is a derogatory account. It's not going to improve your score one way or the other if you pay in full or settle in full. The only way your score would improve is if that entry was removed entirely. Yeah, absolutely. And so sometimes paying it in full gives you leverage to negotiate the deletion, which we've talked about before. But ultimately, guys, when it comes to settling in full or paying in full, take the savings, uh, negotiate, save the money. That's really the, the takeaway. Don't let the debt collector give you credit advice. He doesn't know what he's talking about. And like he said, any information obtained will be used for the purpose of collecting the debt. That is their whole goal. It's not really to help you. So keep that in mind, guys. I think that's about it, uh, Richard. I think we've covered everything that we really wanted to get by. There's actually a few other things, but we covered the main points. We are out of time. We want to keep these, you know, around the 30 minute mark and we're there. So plus, if you guys haven't noticed, my voice is disappearing. So we really can't continue because I will not have a voice for he's, the rest of the day. He's a magician with the vanishing act. <laughs> no, I just have this little <laughs> tickle in my throat, but we're, we're getting through it. Guys, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for listening all the way to the end of the show, despite my voice. Uh, Richard, you want to get him with the extra credit task of the week? Yes, the extra credit task of the week is going to be share this show. Let everyone you know, uh, uh, let them know about this show so that they can protect themselves against these tactics as well. And I just think this information is fascinating. I think it's fun. So if you guys want to share some of these debt collector horror stories, um, share the show with everyone that you know. I think that's very much appreciated. The show is growing. We see the downloads number just keep shooting up every day. People are listening to old episodes. Thank you so much, everybody, for sharing the show. Until next time, I'm Anselmo Moreno. And I'm Richard David. We'll see you guys later. Bye.